here is 1 Corinthians 14, 1 to 4. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. Cantonese. Name when you jury kongwe, ya yu chit mo sing suk ling dik yan chi. Ke jung gong yu sing mo dik, si jok sing ji gong do. Nai shoot fong yan dik, yun but si dir yan shoot. Na si dir sun shoot, yan wai mut yao yan tang chut loi. Yin yi. Ta joy sum ling lurry, kirk si gong shoot gok yung dik obey. Don Jok Sinji Gong Do Dik Sidur Yan Shik Yu Jiao Joy Nan Wei Hun Min Yan Shik Fong Yin Dik Si Jiao Jiao Ji Ge Jok Sinji Gong Do Dik Nai Si Jiao Jiao Gao Wei In Mandarin Ni Min Yao Jui Chiu Ai Ye Yao Ke Mu Shu Ling De Shi Dan Gong Yao Ke Mu Zuo Xian Zhi Chuan Dao. Yuan Lai Na Shuo Shu Yan Da. Bu Shi Dui Ren Shuo, Er Shi Dui Shen Shuo, Yin Wei Mei O Ren Ting De Dong. Ta Shi Jai Ling Li, Jiang Shuo, Ge Yang Da Ao Mi. Ke Shi Na Zuo Xian Zhi Chuan Dao De Shi Dui Ren Shuo, Wei Yao Zhao Jiu Gu Li He An Wei Ren. Na shuo shu yan de shi, zhao jiu zi ji. Dan na zhuo xian zhi chuan dao de shi, zhao jiu jiao hui. This is the word of the Lord. So may we be good hearers of the word and better doers. May we love Jesus deeply. May we trust what Jesus says. And may we follow Jesus well. You may be seated. Thank you, Stephanie. Good morning. Hello. Do any of you remember 2008? Not, re not rhetorical. Okay, beautiful. I don't know where you were, but I remember 2008. It was. I won't show you pictures of the fashion. I promise. But. Um, Two thousand eight was a pretty difficult year for me. When I think about it, it uh, I would characterize it as maybe dark and chaotic. In that time, uh, my church that I grew up in moved um, to a different part of the city, and with it, a lot of my friends uh, stopped being a part of my church. That was like my circle. I remember in that season, my family was in the middle of a divorce and sorting that out. And you know, I was in high school, so puberty, and that's just chaos in and of itself. <laughs> I remember though, my 10th grade year, I was in a lit class, and in that class, my teacher asked us to do an assignment. She said, I want you to write an assignment of the day in the life of your dream job. Do you remember dreaming about like your future back in high school? Yeah. So I did this assignment, and um, I remember just 
sitting down and just like, like it was one of those pieces that just came out of me. I was writing everything that came to mind as fast as I could. And I wrote this, um, it's really personal actually, but I don't know a way to, whatever. So I wrote this, um, I wrote this assignment and I wrote about this, uh, and it was almost like a vision came to my mind where one day I would um, be, I imagined being a worship pastor and that one day I would get the opportunity with a bunch of my friends to hang out. I was living in Seattle at the time. And me and a bunch of friends and strangers would all work together and put on this huge worship night in Seahawks Stadium. And I remember um, writing that down and just being like, yeah, that would be such a cool dream. And all of our friends would be there and like, people would come to know Jesus and it would be awesome. And so I went to church gatherings a ton that year. I was really involved in my youth group, and um, I remember going to all these church gatherings, and at one point or another, I went to this conference, and this guy was speaking, and he started talking about, one of you has been dreaming about leading worship in stadiums. And I didn't really hear it. One of my friends, I only told one person about this paper I wrote, but this, this person, he's speaking on the stage, and he begins to talk about this. And I didn't hear it, and my friend gasped. She's like, did you hear that? And I go, no. And she goes, that was basically what you wrote in your paper. I was like, that's kind of weird. I remember for weeks, almost every church gathering I went to, somehow someone would talk about leading worship in a stadium, leading worship in a stadium, to the point where after weeks go by and months go by, I literally, I, I was getting ready to go to this conference for my church, and I remember going, okay, God, I get it. Like, I think you might be trying to say something to me. I, I, I get it, okay? Like, we get it. And jokingly, I said to my friend, I was like, I feel like this keeps coming up so much that the only thing God didn't say is a date. And I remember going to that conference that night, and um, at the end of the conference, this random woman comes up to me, like stranger from no, never seen her in my life before. And um, she comes up to me and she goes, hey, I, I feel like I have to share something with you. And I look at her and I have no clue she is. And, I'm, and so I'm kind of already like apprehensive. I'm like, I don't know you. Like, what are you going to share? And she goes, well, actually, I went up to one of your pastors and shared this with them and they said it'd be okay. And for me, that disarmed me. I was like, oh, you were willing to talk to one of my pastors. And she shares this word about, of course, me being leading worship in a stadium. And I remember her sharing all these things, and it felt like someone knew like, what was the dream in my heart that I'd only spoken to one person. And I remember in that moment just like almost laughing because of what it was. She walks away from me, and she turns back and yells, oh, and I, I could imagine in the next 10 years seeing you there. And I was like, really, God? Like, really? Okay, even a date. You know, before in my life growing up in church, God, I understood that he was a parent, but I think I related to him as like a distant one. That year, I learned through experience that it's not enough to have a parent who just can pay my bills or can protect me or can teach me. Deep down, what I really want is a parent who I can relate with, a parent I can speak with. We want a God who speaks in the middle of disorder and chaos. And it's to that ache that the scripture opens in Genesis 1 with a story about what God is up to. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths and the spirit, the ruach, the breath of God was hovering like a dove over the surface of the waters. Then God said. How does God bring form to the formless and peace to chaos? Speech. We speak to bring what is inside out, to make what's individual corporate, to make our internal thoughts, desires, emotions, and intentions relational. But God speaks to create, to strengthen, to encourage, to comfort, to order, to form, and to build. A major part of God's strategy for creating is his spirit and his speech. 
One commentator put it this way, when I speak a word, it is in a sense part of me. It's a breath that comes from inside of me, making the noise that I give it with my throat, my mouth, and my tongue. Words have a life which seem to be independent of us. When people hear them, words can change the way they think and live. Think of, I love you, or it's time to go, or you're fired. These words create new situations. People respond or act accordingly. The words remain in their memory and go on affecting them. God regularly acts by means of his word. What he says happens. And the biblical story continues on. God forms a people and calls them by name. And as God is forming this people, he speaks to an ordinary man named Moses. And Moses speaks what he hears to his community. The word for that is prophecy. God speaks then Moses speaks. God speaks, then Moses prophesies. God speaks, and then God's people prophesy. Now, for the sake of clarity, I'm going to use the term prophecy more loosely as a way to encompass the various speech gifts that the scripture talks about. Cool, you with me there? Yes? Beautiful. So let's define prophecy this way. To hear and share God's voice on behalf of an individual or group to hear or to share God's voice on behalf of an individual or group. Now, I get as soon as I said the word prophecy, three different groups of people likely had very different reactions. First of all, some of you are stoked. You're like, let's do it, finally. I've been waiting for it. But uh, we want to give a biblical foundation for prophecy. It'll enrich the experience, like learning about the food you're going to eat, how it enriches the meal. Or for me, learning about how they filmed that next Marvel show or TV or movie. It enriches the experience. Or even going to Disneyland and understanding that they take all the trash underground so that you never have to see it. It enriches the experience. Some of you are stoked. Some of you are suspicious, and clearly this sermon needed alliteration. Maybe suspicious because it's unfamiliar. You've never practiced prophecy before, but maybe suspicious because it's too familiar and it was unhealthy. Some of us had experiences that were disappointing, to say the least. Others had experiences that were manipulative or even painful. And if that's your story, I'm really sorry about that. And I understand the impact that that has. But what you're rea- and what you're reacting to, actually, it's fair. You're not reacting to God's voice, though. You're reacting to the misuse of it, the abuse of it. So if you'd allow me, I'd like to share some of my experiences around the gift of God's voice coming through people. And I bet the next, uh, I bet, oh my gosh, I bet next to the fear and hurt, there's a long, still desire, a longing in you to hear God's voice. Some of you are stoked, some of you are suspicious, and last, some of you are spectating. You're here like, what are we even talking about? I know it's Halloween, so I wondered if church would get kind of weird. (laughs) But you don't really have hunger or baggage. You're just along for the ride and wondering why the intro to this sermon is so long. So whether you're stoked, suspicious, or spectating, I think there is something available for each of us. So let's get back to Moses. Numbers 11, verses 24 to 29. Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord. Or in other words... Moses prophesied. He brought 70 men from the elders of the people and had them stand around the tent. The Lord descended in the cloud and spoke to him. He took some of the spirit, the ruach, who was on Moses and placed the spirit on 70 elders. Interesting that in scripture, 70, the number often hyperlinks to the nations. As the spirit rested like a dove on them, notice how it's not just Moses anymore, they prophesied. The first thing that happens when the spirit rested was speech. We see the spirit and speech coming together again, but they never did it again. A beautiful tragedy. 
Two men had remained in the camp, and the spirit rested on them. They were among those listed, but had not gone out to the tent, and they prophesied in the camp. Joshua, son of Nun, assisted to Moses since his youth, responded, Moses, my Lord, stop them. Now Joshua, in some ways, he may be right, making sure that everything is above board with prophecy, but also Joshua seems nervous. Moses, you don't want to use, you don't want your leadership to be threatened if other people prophesy. Moses asked him, are you jealous on my account? If only all the Lord's people were prophets and the Lord would place his spirit on all of them. Moses' longing is that all God's people would have his spirit and speech. A narrative thread you can trace through the scripture is God's people longing for his spirit and speech. There are moments where God raises up a king, a priest, or a prophet who listens to God and speaks, but the story of spirit and speech in scripture is primarily for the few. Centuries later, another ordinary man named Joel hears from God and prophesies. Joel chapter 2, starting in verse 27. You will know that I am present in Israel and that I am the Lord your God and there is no other. My people will never again be put to shame. After this, I will pour out my spirit on all humanity. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will have dreams and your young men will see visions. I will even pour out my spirit on the male and female slaves in those days. When God pours out his spirit, his people will hear his thoughts, his intentions, his will, his desires, and they will speak. They will prophesy. What Moses longed for is actually what Joel was prophesying, that all God's people would hear and speak. Then God does the unthinkable. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word. This word is personal, a speaker in face-to-face relationship with God. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, the word, and, all, and apart from him, the word. Not one thing was created that has been created. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. N.T. Wright Wright sums up what's happening so well. He says, this is about the creator God acting in a new way within his much-loved creation. In Genesis 1, the climax is the creation of humans made in God's image. But in John 1, the climax is the arrival of a human being, the word become flesh. That is, become human, become one of us. He became, in fact, the human being we know as Jesus. That's the theme of this gospel. If you want to know who the true God is, look long and hard at Jesus. The word challenged the darkness before creation and now challenges the darkness that is found tragically within creation itself. So when God created, there was the word. And when God went to continue his recreation project, the word put on skin and bone. His name is Jesus and he is God, the living word. Jesus is hearing and saying and embodying God's voice to people. And he is constantly showing off what God thinks, what he wants, what he feels, what he desires, what he intends and what he is doing. Jesus is God and to that everyone would say, amen. He's God's word embodied, the ultimate prophet and living prophecy. So the living word with the spirit of God resting on him walks around breathing strength, encouragement, and comfort. The living speech of God with the resting spirit of God brings peace to chaos, healing to brokenness, and life to death with just a word. 
Then the living word of God, the living word says something that we have a hard time trusting. I have something better for my people. The one whom the breath rested on breathed on his people and said, receive my spirit. Then the people of God who've been breathed on by God gathered together in prayer to God to speak to him. Acts chapter two says that the breath of God rushed in and rested on his people. They received the Holy Spirit and began speaking out the things of God. Spirit and speech come together again. And then Peter begins to connect the dots. The things that Moses longed for and the things that Joel prophesied about God's people we're now experiencing. No longer do only a few have the spirit and speech. The dove rests, the breath is given, and now everyone can swim in the waters. Everyone gets spirit and everyone can join in the speech. Old and young, women and men, poor and rich, east and west, prisoner and priest, doctorate and illiterate, spirit and speech is for all. And when you turn to somebody next to you and say, it's for you. you. Look at the person you ignore and say it again. It's for you too. This is for you. And it's not just a story in a library about a church. It's our story as the church. And even more than our story, this, I think, is the longing in our souls. I think that deep down, we all want this if it's really true. We don't just want a God who gives good advice or performs a miracle or who helps on a hard day, as great as all of that is. We don't just want a God who is wise or powerful. We long for a God who is deeply personal, a God we can have relationship with. We ache for a God who gets us at our core who knows our real desires, who is attentive to our real pain, who gets close and personal. We long for a God who is near, a God who speaks. I don't know about you, but I need a God who speaks direction when I'm losing sleep because of that decision. I need a God who speaks tenderly when I have a struggle that I don't know how to talk about. I need a God who speaks answers when I'm praying prayers and things seem silent. I need a God who speaks peace when I'm walking what feels like chaos. I need a God who speaks strength when I'm spent, but I still have to keep going. I need a God who speaks comfort when I've ran out of tears to cry and a God who speaks courage when I have good reason to be anxious about what's next. I need a God who's near to the brokenhearted and who saves those who are crushed in spirit. Does anybody else? I know some of the stories represented in this room. I can see you nodding and I can see your eyes. We don't just need a God who's powerful. Power alone, it's not good news. Power is only helpful depending on what that God is like and how that God chooses to use power, which is where the Bible is shocking and difficult and compelling and better than any of us can make up. The biblical story says that this God who is infinite in wisdom and power, is shockingly attentive, surprisingly sacrificial, decidedly relational, and deeply personal. What we deep down ache for is a God who is with us, a God who rests on us, a God who speaks to us. And if the biblical story is true, and I think it is, then God has given his people his spirit. He is deeply personal, and he's presently speaking. Family, first of all, I want to remind you that God is speaking. Not in this moment. God is speaking each day. His desire is to speak. He's not aloof. He's not distant. He's not unattentive. God is a God who speaks. God is speaking each day, and for that, I'm deeply thankful. 
God is speaking, and that's incredible. But God is speaking typically through people, which can get messy. Anyone else experience the messiness of people? And I'm not just talking about your spouse that leaves things around the house. I'm talking about all the little ways that people seem to make a mess of things. How I make a mess of things, and you make a mess of things, and Christians seem to make a mess of things. If you ever want to see how messy church can be, just read through what Paul pastored the church in Corinth through. They were living in a major city known for its port, with lots of travelers coming in and out of the city regularly. A city known for its politics, philosophy, art, and entertainment. A city that was a cultural hub of its day. A city with visible disparity between wealthy and poor. A city with, that was wild with its sexuality. A city with a plethora of religions and spiritualities to choose from. Does this city sound familiar? And in that city was a smaller yet stronger city, a colony, a people, and a family, wrestling with how to be faithful to a different king, a family dealing with leadership and trust issues, a family working through division, a family wrestling with some doctrinal stuff, a family struggling if they could really believe in the resurrection, a family figuring out Jesus' vision for sexuality, a family becoming a home for many people of different cultures and ethnicities and socioeconomics, a family learning how to be community, a family that was regularly eating meals together, a family having powerful worship gatherings. Sound familiar? It's to a family of followers of Jesus, a lot like us, in a city a lot like ours, that Paul invites God's people in 1 Corinthians 14. Let's read this out loud together. Pursue love. No, no, no. Let's read this out loud together. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, especially that you prophesy. Paul then goes on to say, the one who prophesies builds up the church. I wish all of you spoke in tongues, but even more that all of you prophesied. Do you see what's happening? Paul is beginning to join what Moses prayed and what Moses desired, the desire that all God's people would prophesy. Wait, all? Like all, everybody? All. Wait, but this church, it's kind of messy. Yes, exactly. Wait, but they hadn't sorted everything out yet. Yes, exactly. But there was some immaturity. Yes, exactly. But they were getting some stuff wrong. Still, yes, exactly. But wait, some people were really into it and some were just feeling it out. Yes, exactly. Apparently, prophecy is deeply important to the life of a church family. Dare I say, prophecy, hearing and sharing God's voice on behalf of an individual or group should be the normal experience of the gathering church. Think about how speech has been used throughout time and history and in each of our lives to destroy. We could go around the room and pass around a mic and each name ways that words and thoughts and ideas and lies have devastated nations and churches and families and friendships and peoples and bodies and minds. Interesting that the enemy in scripture often uses speech to steal and kill, deform and destroy, warp and weaken, discourage and distress. You know, he's called the one who is opposed, the accuser and the father of lies. So wouldn't it be like God to actually use speech for good? Prophecy is a major tool that God uses to disrupt the work of the enemy. That's why prophecy, hearing and sharing God's voice on behalf of an individual or group, is so deeply important. Prophecy, it's not like adding guac at Chipotle if you're really feeling like it or have the budget for it. (laughs) Prophecy is an expression of the very heartbeat of what God wants to do in and through his family. 
Truthfully, I'm here physically at Bridgetown because of friends and strangers who said, walked up to me over the course of nine months and said, hey, I don't know what, why, but I keep feeling there might be a change coming in the next season of your life. Not just friends, strangers who followed Jesus, who had the same king, and just said, I might, hey, I don't know what this is about, but I have something for you. Whenever God's people gather, God's heart is to speak. He's speaking, but let's name what we don't always want to talk about. Pause for dramatic effect. (laughs) The way God has chosen to speak and operate in the world is through people, messy people. People who get it right and sometimes get it wrong. People with mixed motives, people who have highs and lows, people who are on different places on the journey. God is speaking and it is his desire and his joy to speak through people. We may not always like that God uses those messy people, yet it's what God maybe in his love and in his wisdom is choosing to do. A pretty unfamiliar author, Dallas Willard, writes, (laughs) if we look at the advice on how the meetings of the church were supposed to proceed as given in 1 Corinthians 14, we see that they assumed that numerous people in the congregation were going to have some kind of communication from God which they would be sharing with others in the group. It was normal. So a church maturely practicing the New Testament gift of prophecy doesn't seek to sensationalize prophetic words. They normalize prophetic words. That's what Paul's teaching the Corinthians. And that's where we're headed as this family. We're not aiming to become fanatically prophetic, just normally prophetic. And what's normal for a community made up of individuals filled with the Spirit of God is found on the pages of the New Testament. In fact, the New Testament church receives written instructions directly related to prophecy and the letters to the Romans, Corinthians, Thessalonians, and Timothy, and in the the epistles of Peter, Jude, and Revelation. Prophecy seems to be the norm for the church in the New Testament. So why isn't it always with us? I think we practice prophecy less frequently Not because God isn't speaking. It's not because God's voice is unfamiliar or really hard to hear. I think we we practice prophecy less frequently because God's voice is sometimes too familiar, so we miss it. Let me tell you a story. Growing up in church, I had this idea that God God speaking was thunderous, obvious, and like mystical. You know, that it normally happened primarily to the person with a microphone, and basically they'd hear something externally or really loud internally, like the voice of Darth Vader or Mufasa. Fun fact, same person, James Earl Jones. (laughs) They'd hear a voice and get some instruction, some shivers down the spine, and know exactly what oracle to herald. And while God speaks to Jaron with the voice of James Earl Jones, just kidding, um, that's not really what my experience was. Now that same 10th grade year, a man named Ray Arnold helped me learn to hear God speaking to me and then gave me space to share it with my other sisters and brothers. Ray regularly took me and a group of other young guys to his house. He and his wife would make some food for us. Thank you, Ray. Then we'd sit down in his living room. Ray would grab a chair, he'd put it in the middle of the room and he called it the hot seat. And one by one, we'd sit on the hot seat. Then he said he just wanted us to listen for our friend and share what whatever came to mind. Uh, whatever came to mind? Ray, do you know what door you just opened to a bunch of 16-year-old high school boys? <laughs> do you really want to know whatever comes to mind, like in the imagination of some sanctifying 16-year-olds? That's dangerous waters to tread on, Ray. 
But as we shared, and in time, the more we shared, it was wild to see how the stuff that seemed to be so simple and so subtle to the speaker was deeply personal and profound to the hearer. What that 10th grader began to learn was that God was speaking to me. He sounded like the Bible I was reading for 15 minutes each morning. He sounded like Jesus seemed to sound. He was really comforting and really encouraging. People always seemed to leave stronger when he was speaking. My 16-year-old self experienced that there is no junior Holy Spirit. One more time, there is no junior Holy Spirit. My 16-year-old self experienced that the Spirit is for both old and for young, for black and for white, for poor and for rich. We all have access to the Spirit of God. We all can have the mind of Christ. God is speaking, and he's speaking through my mind and my emotions and my body and my imagination. God is speaking and his voice is so subtle and familiar that it's easy for me to miss. One of the reasons that we miss, to sum this up out on the gifts of prophecy, is because his voice is such a familiar whisper that we hear his voice and we don't even realize it. But the other reason that we miss out on prophecy, and some of y'all might need a pedicure after this because I'm gonna step on some toes. (laughs) One of the other reasons we miss out on prophecy, specifically when we gather is that we often come to gatherings as a spectator or a recipient rather than an active participant. It's easy for me to gather in my community or on a Sunday primarily with the mindset, I'm here to receive. But if the life of a follower of Jesus is actually about love, if it's about becoming like Jesus and doing what Jesus did, then wouldn't that mean that my priority when I gather is not to look for how I can get fed, but how I get to feed? I think we often miss out on the gift of prophecy because, we're all, because we are not gathering with the intent of looking for ways to love and to give. I know truthfully that's not always my intent. It's easy to get up on Sunday wanting God to speak to me or God to feed me, which I'm not going to villainize. That is a good and godly desire to which we should all say amen. But what if God isn't just wanting to feed me? If we're going to be honest, how many times have we moved on to the next community because we weren't getting fed? But what if God has placed you in this moment, not just to get fed, but to feed? Maybe I'll say it like this. What if the food you're actually looking for comes as you feed others? Sounds like Jesus and a woman at the well in John chapter four. What if God wants to not only speak to you, but also through you? What if God wants to give as you give to others? What if we meant what we've been praying each week in our gatherings? When we come together, each of us has something to bring. We present to you, Lord, all that we have. What if we let our songs form not just our words, but our actions? Show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. Or let all the redeemed prophesy and sing. Or here I am, Lord. Send me. What if before God sends us across the city, he just wants to send you across this room? What if the reason you keep noticing a person a few seats away is because God is speaking and wants to partner with you in prophecy? What if when we gathered, each of us asked, God, how do you want to give through me today? What if our expectation every time we were in community wasn't, God, I hope it's good, but God, I hope you use me. What if today is someone's last straw? 
It's their last hope. It's their last attempt. And God wants to meet that person, not through a sermon or through a song, but through just an ordinary someone. And that someone is you. And it's you. And it's you. And it's you. And it's you. Then what if, after all your giving, God still wants to give back to you? And what if God was sending a messy person to speak to you? What if Jesus was telling the truth when he said, give and it shall be given unto you, and it's more blessed to give than it is to receive? Sounds like an upside down kingdom, doesn't it? What if the strengthening you need or the courage you need or the comfort that you need was not going to come anymore from just the pulpit, but instead from the pew? I want that. Do you want that? Sort of? I want that. I want to be a part of that. I'm not rhetorical. Other preachers are rhetorical. I'm not being rhetorical. Do you want that? I want to be a part of that. And if God has it for us, count me in, baby, and sign me up. Let's not miss out, family. So how do we do this? I'm not going to cover every thought or question on prophecy today because this teaching would go too long. Tyler's given two great prayer trainings that will help connect more of the dots. So please, you can go online to bridgetown.church prayer. He speaks a ton to the why and to the what. So in our last moments, I'll speak a little bit to the how with prophecy. Most of my experience with prophecy, truthfully, it wasn't really learned from a book. It came through swimming in the waters with older swimmers. So... Let me try to be just as practical with swimming lessons as I can. Here we go. God normally speaks in a whisper. He is simple and can be easy to miss. He's gentle and doesn't take over or control. He's subtle, but he's not trying to be mysterious or manipulative. We have to learn how to hear his whisper. And you know what we do when we learn how to hear his whisper? It actually builds intimacy with God. God's whisper can come in various ways, like a thought, a feeling, a bodily sensation, a memory that may not be your own, a piece of information or direction, a picture, or maybe like a video, so to speak, that comes to mind, an intuition or an impression, a phrase, an idea, a scripture, a quote, a knowing, or maybe a dream or vision. Truthfully, like in the past two weeks, I keep having these dreams about people that are really oddly specific. I've never really had that before, and I've been texting them, and I'm like, I don't know what this means, but maybe it's something to you. God might even speak to you in dreams or visions. It doesn't always happen, and prophecy doesn't always have to happen in the moment or need to be spontaneous. God may want to give you a prophetic sense well before you encounter a person. Like, what if every Monday morning we woke up and said, God, for the next seven days, would you speak to me for somebody that I'm going to see next Sunday or next week in my community? Sometimes a prophetic word now is to be shared with an individual, but sometimes it's for a group, or sometimes it's for the whole congregation, or sometimes the word is actually just for me. Sometimes God shares a word, not because he wants you to share it, but he actually is inviting you to privately pray and intercede for that person. So sometimes the call in prophecy is deep prayer and deep intercession. We learn to discern those things over time. So how do we know? The question we're probably all thinking, how do we know if it's God? Well, different Christian traditions have used different language. Some say we judge it or we test it or we weigh it. So we weigh it by scripture, meaning does it match what scripture overwhelmingly says? Does it sound like Jesus? Does it treat people like Jesus treats people? Does it show God the way we see him revealed in Jesus? We also weigh it by the historic Christian orthodoxy. We weigh it in community. We can weigh it with spiritual leaders, with people who are mature, with elders and pastors. 
Actually, we can let you know. If you had a sense or a word and you're not sure, we have pastors and elders in this church who would love to let you come up to them during a gathering and, and share what that sense is and pray about that together. That's how we actually mature this in, in Christ. We ask the question, does it make sense to the person's life, their circumstances, their desires? Often prophecy, what it's doing is it's actually touching something God has already been speaking. So does it match what God has already been inviting the person into? 1 Corinthians 14.3 says, the person who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, or comfort. The question is, does this strengthen, encourage, or comfort? If it doesn't do those things, then it's not New Testament prophecy. Remember, prophecy, it's relational. So after we share, we don't just like drop a bomb and dip out. We ask. Ask if what you said makes sense. Ask if it related. Ask if it resonates. Invite the person to pray into it and weigh it for themselves. We give, your, give yourself and others space to even get it wrong or just sort of right. 1 Corinthians 13, the chapter four says, we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. In other words, completeness has not come yet because we haven't met Jesus face to face, which is why I personally never say, thus saith the Lord when I prophesy, you know? <laughs> Instead, I say something more of like, hey, I had this sense that, or this just came to my mind for you, or I even ask if I can share something with them. Sometimes, you know, and some would even say that there are three different kind of layers of prophecy. First of all, there can be revelation, as in here's what I think God is speaking. You're revealing what I think God is speaking. Second of all, interpretation. Here's what I think this means. And then there's application. Here's who I think this is for. Is it for me to pray about? Is it for another person? Is it for a community? When do I share it? And the truth is, we don't always get all three of these right. Sometimes you might get one out of three, right? Sometimes God may only reveal to you one of those three, which is incredible. Often if you pray in community with incredible people in our church, like Stephanie or Kylie, people who've like often matured in that gift, you might have a word or a sense of something, and they actually might have a similar sense that brings clarity. That's why we do this, not just individually, but corporately. Now, we have to be able, hear this, take a deep breath in, let it out. We have to be able to get it wrong and just laugh. Like that. Just laugh. Like I remember that one time where my friend walked up to this gal we knew and she asked how, he asked how far along she'd been pregnant. Oh. Right, exactly. And I was like, Jesus, 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 Jesus. I was interceding. And, uh, but out of the kindness of her heart, it's family. And that woman just laughed. She said, I eat a lot of corn dogs and just laughed about it. I can tell you, family, like, I've gotten words wrong before. I've actually had an experience where I prayed for somebody around healing, and I said, same better or worse. They said, I think it's kind of worse. And I was like, oh my gosh, I don't even theologically know what to do with that. <laughs> We're a family who laughs and keeps the prophetic playful. We're a family who can get it wrong and still be okay. Sometimes we don't know for sure if the whisper is God, which is why it's said, I think by John Wimber, faith is spelled R-I-S-K, risk. Our identity, hear this, our identity is not wound up in always getting it right, even though our desire and our aim is to get it right. So I wonder if our maturity in this season could be measured in our riskiness rather than just our rightness. I wonder, I wonder if our maturity in this season could be measured in our riskiness, just willing to step out. I want to be the sort of person who steps out and risks when I think it's God saying something to me and through me. Now, please hear my heart. I'm not saying that we get reckless. 
I'm not saying that anything and everything that comes to mind is always God speaking or prophetic word. That is not what I'm saying, so throw that away. Again, we have to weigh and test and judge what we think may be a prophetic word. What I'm saying in this season of our community is that God speaks and he wants to speak through us. And we're invited to be a people who are attentive to his voice, who thoughtfully and humbly and communally weigh what we think he is saying and then just risk by stepping out. A risk to myself, to my comfort zone, to my preference, to my perception, out of the desire to do good to a sister or brother is called love. And that's what sharing a prophetic word can be when we do it with the right motives. A profound personal act of love. The most important thing is that we're motivated by love. This is what Paul is saying to the church in Corinth. He doesn't say, pursue prophecy and desire to be loving. Paul says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. To love, to seek, desire, and act for the good of our sister and brother before ourself is our goal. Love is always our priority. Love will drive us to thoughtfully weigh a word before sharing it, and love will drive us to boldly share a word when we're nervous too. So a quick word to the eager and to the cautious. First to the eager. To those eagerly desiring the gift of prophecy, this is a good desire. It's a biblical desire. I actually think it's the spirit of God in you stirring something. The best way we can grow in the prophetic is by practicing encouragement. Encouragement is often prophesying based on what you can see. And then somewhere along the way, you may find yourself speaking based on what you can't see. That is a part of prophecy. And while not every nice thing we say is prophetic, encouragement is a great way to become available to God, maturing in us the prophetic. If you eagerly desire the gift of prophecy, practice strengthening, encouraging, and comforting others every chance you get. Now a word to the cautious. To those a bit nervous about something like the prophetic, Paul's instruction that everyone should desire prophecy comes in a long passage on the need for order in the church's worship gatherings and on the need for everything to be motivated by love. Paul also says that the recipient of a prophetic word should test or weigh it against scripture and by communal discernment. Prophecy, hear me, prophecy is not the rejection of order. It is the invitation to life within that order like directions for cooking or specifically baking a delicious meal. I don't think Paul was afraid to clean up a messy church when he needed to, but I think Paul may have been hesitant of a church so lifeless that there was never a mess to clean up. The church of our time has become extraordinary at keeping things neat and tidy and perfect with the right everything. And in the process has developed certain gifts while honestly ignoring others. So let's bring it on. Let's bring it on. If there's some mess, our family can handle the cleanup. 